Excuse me, King, mighty warrior, hero, man who kills giants. Just want to tell you that that box that you left in Obed-Edom's house, I just love that name, right? Obed-Edom. If you're going to have a child, um, it might be a name that you want to consider. The one that you wanted to bring back to your household. It's, it's caused Obed-Edom to be incredibly blessed. Now, why did God bless Obed-Edom? He blesses his household just because the presence of God is there. place. We're looking um, probably the last time that we're going to be looking at David and his journey to bring the presence of God, that the ark of God, that box, that incredible trunk that has the glowing presence of God sitting on the top. This is probably the last session that we'll, we'll do looking at that. Uh, it's an incredible story, it really is. And there's a couple of different places where it's mentioned in the Old Testament. There's parallel passages, um, one in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 and one in 1 Chronicles 15, which is the one we've been at most of the time. But I want to be in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6 for this because I just love the way it flows and the way it's, way it's written. Now, different accounts have different nuances. Now, often we think about parallel passages happening in the Gospels, uh, specifically the synoptics, right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and then some in John. Uh, but it happens in the Old Testament too, and it's great to read them through because they actually got different ways of looking at the same stories, which I find incredibly interesting. So now, we're in chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. Um, now what's happened is this. We're going to rejoin the story a bit further back than we were last week. David, he failed to bring the presence of God back into his nation using his own strength and his own army um, and in using the might and power of his of his reign and his rule. Um, and that ended in a guy dying, which is very tragic. And so he, he left the ark, this box, this this trunk with the presence of God on it in a man's house by the name of Obed-Edom. Now, in chapter, verse 12, chapter 6, 2 Samuel, says this, that David was told, and I'll, and I'll read it to you, David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household. I just love that name, right? Obed-Edom. If you're going to have a child, um, it might be a name that you want to consider. I don't know. Obed-Edom. The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything that he does. Now, why did God bless Obed-Edom? Now, it, we can zoom past this real quick, but we're not going to because it's important. God doesn't bless Obed-Edom's house because of the stuff that Obed-Edom has done. He blesses his household just because the presence of God is there. Isn't that an incredible thought? This is not based on what he did. This is just based on the blessing that comes when the presence of God is in your household. And that is why David wants that blessing, that presence of God in 
in his nation, in his, in his place. He wants that presence of God there because when the presence come, the blessings of God come with him. Now, I, I can't imagine what, what it felt like to be David and to be told, oh, you know that, you know that endeavor that you failed in and you left that trunk with the presence of God on it in Obed-Edom's house? Well, because you did that, God's blessing Obed-Edom's socks off. He's, he's just blessing him over and over and over again. Now, I can't imagine what it would be like to be David and be told that. I also can't imagine what it would be like to be the person who actually came to David and gave him that message. Uh, excuse me, king, mighty warrior, hero, man who kills giants. Um, just want to tell you that that box that you left in Obed-Edom's house, the one that you wanted to bring back to your household, it's, it's caused Obed-Edom to be incredibly blessed. I cannot imagine being the person who would give David that news. But then... David sets out to go and get the box back. And that's what we talked about last week, right? So David does four things. First of all, he prepares, he gets ready for the presence of God. And that's something that we're not very good at in the 21st century. Uh, we just think that we can approach God however we want, whenever we want, in whatever way we want. And well, that might be true. There's a very fine line there that we actually do need to prepare ourselves as well. And then after he prepared, he, he, he obeyed God, did the way things, the way that God asked him to do them in the way that he asked him to do them. And then he offered sacrifices. And we live in a generation in times where, well, we don't like to sacrifice anything. Um, I, I want a discount on every single thing that I do. I wonder if there's a coupon or a Groupon for, um, for having the blessing of God in my life. Can I get that at a discounted price? Um, well, no, I can't. And then the last thing that David does is he humbles himself. He realizes that there's only one king in this procession. So he takes his kingly garments off and his crown off and he dances in front of God as a priest. And there's this huge celebration that goes on. It's written there. It's right here in, in, in Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6. It says there's a huge celebration at the end of verse 12. And, and so they got, they got all sorts of stuff going on. And, and in, and in the account of this in 1 Chronicles 15, it says that they've got a praise and worship choir, that they've got all these different instruments crashing around and playing stuff and people are shouting and yelling and praising God and doing all this amazing stuff in the middle of this incredible celebration. They have praise and worship in the presence of God. That is a massive hint to why we do it in the modern day church. We're, we're, not, we're not praising and worshiping so that, so that we can think how good we sound. We're praising and worshiping the God who made all this. And, and we can do that anywhere. I can do it right here, but, but we can do it in our church services too. Because right here in these mountains, I'm in the presence of God. And I'm in the presence of God in my workplace. I'm in the presence of God in my household. I'm in the presence of God in the church. And so that's why they're praising and worshiping God. Now, this is what happens. In verse 13, it's windy up here. It's really cold. And it's chilly too. After the men who carried the ark, listen to this. After the men who carried the ark had gone six steps David made a sacrifice. After they'd gone six steps. 
Let me ask you a question. Why not five steps? Why not eight steps? Why six steps? Now, there's lots of different reasons for this, and there's lots of different things that people might put as reasons for this. Um, but this is what I, I, like, I like to think this. Six is the number that represents human beings. And I like to think that after six steps, the writer writes this down in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And I like to think that he writes it down because after six steps, that's as far as human beings can go before the grace and mercy of God has to take over and do what only the grace of, and mercy of God can do. Human effort runs out at six. That's the way, that's the human being's number. And then God in his grace and his mercy takes over as the human being sacrifice. And I just think that's a great thought. So after six steps, the effort of human beings runs out and God takes over by his mercy and grace. Isn't that a great thought? Now then, this is what happens next. We're dashing through this, I know, but there's a lot, lot to consider here. And, and this is where I want to go. As the ark of God, right? So David sacrificed every six steps. Verse 14, and David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing his priestly garments. See, I'm not lying. He took off his kingly robes and danced in front of God in his priestly garments. He dances with all his might. And in different translations, it says he skips. He, he laughs with joy. And he does all this with all his might. It's not like a half-hearted effort. It's all of his being. This is right from his very core. He is celebrating as much as he can possibly celebrate. And he does it in the presence of God. Now then, this is what happens. We're going to skip down to verse 16. Listen to this. As the ark of God was carried into the city of David, Michael, that, that's a girl's name here. Michael is spelt differently than the male one, than the male Michael. Michael, who's the daughter of King Saul, who's David's wife, looks down from the window. And when she saw the king leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt. So you've got celebration. You've got all that's going on. And in the middle of all of that, all the celebration, the, 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 the joy of David thinking, I finally got the, the presence of the God who created all of this. I finally got that back into my nation. And he's greeted with contempt. How do you figure that out? He's greeted with contempt. He's dancing and leaping. This is this is the, the, this is one of the greatest moments in his whole kingship, and he's greeted with contempt. Now, I want I want to contrast here. I want to contrast here between David and Michael, his wife. Now, it's it's nothing to do with gender. It's nothing to do with husband and wife. It's nothing to do with that. It's just attitude. That's all it is. It's nothing to do with 
men or women. It's nothing to do with any of that. It's just attitude. Now look at this. With David, you have joy and celebration. That's what you have. With Michael, his wife, it's contempt. She, she looks on him and it's derisive. It's, she looks on him with derision and, and she has contempt for him. With David, you've got celebration. With Michael, she accuses him of being a vulgar fellow. That's what, you read the text, that's what she does. She, she says, you're dancing in front of the maidens and everybody dressed in, in a priest's garment like some vulgar fellow. She obviously liked the trappings of royalty better. So you've got celebration and accusation. You've got joy and contempt. You've got the presence of God and all the blessing that comes with it. And then you've got this, I like to call it drizzle. I'm not a fan of drizzle. I know I'm English, so I come from the land of drizzle, but I'm not a fan of drizzle. Drizzle, to me, is like rain that hasn't even got the guts to be real rain. Do you know what I mean? It's damp enough just to take the shine off a day, but it hasn't got the guts to be real rain. Now, <laughs> I meet lots of people like that. They haven't got the guts to be... But they're just drizzly enough to sh take the shine off a great day. And that's what this is. You've got this exuberant presence of God, David dancing, and you've got Mrs. Drizzle. Like, like I say, it's nothing to do with gender. But you've got this drizzle attitude that just sucks the joy out of the day. And then you've got all these different things that David's going to do. He's, uh, he shares, and as you read through the text, it says this, that, that he, he gives every single man, woman, and child, everybody from the house of Israel, he, he gives everybody a cake of figs, he gives them a loaf of bread, and, and he gives them all of this different stuff. He, he goes around and he wants to bless every single person. He's sharing, it's expansive, just like God's creation. And that's what David wants to do. And then you've got Mrs. Drizzle, and it says this, because she's filled with contempt, that she's barren. Now, I don't want you to think of this as childlessness, because I don't want any judgment in, in there, right? She's barren. Now, without going into graphic detail, it takes a certain level of intimacy to father and mother a child. To be bio-parents takes a certain level of intimacy. Now, when she greets David with contempt, and it says that she's barren from that time on, again, one of the, one of the interpretations of that that I like to think about is from that point on, there's no real intimacy. There's nothing that gives birth to anything that brings joy. So you've got this incredible contrast. 
And that's a challenge to me as I live my life. I don't want to be somebody. I don't want to be somebody who, who looks at what God does with contempt. I don't want to, I don't want to look down on the blessings of God, even if I don't understand them. And even if I don't understand the way God moves and the way he creates and the way he does stuff, I don't want to look on it in a, in a, derisive way. I don't, I don't want to look down on it. I don't want to have contempt for what God is blessing. I mean, you, it says, and you, you read the text later for yourself after verse 16 and, and it, and it goes on, it goes on to say this, that David in verse 20, David goes home to bless his own family. Like he's going home to bless his family. And Mrs. Drizzle says, well, didn't you look great today exposing yourself shamelessly like some vulgar fellow? See, I'm not lying. Like in the middle of all that blessing and all that celebration and all the presence of God coming into the nation and everything that's happening, all she comes away with is, well, didn't you look great today dancing around like some idiot? That's what she comes away with. You know, sometimes, sometimes when I've been in church, we've had a great time and we had a great meeting and and and, and we've, we've seen the presence of God and, and people are happy and, 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 and good things are happening in people's lives. I'll see people later on in the week and I'll be amazed that They've sat through exactly the same service as everybody else. And all they can think of to say is, well, I thought the music was too loud. Or, yeah, can we can we turn down the volume on on on, on your mic when you're speaking? Because it's it's just it's just a bit too loud. Well, I'm not in I'm not in charge of the volume. And the guy who, who runs the volume is doing a great job. We've got people in our church who are, who are a bit hard of hearing. So, so hey, like sit somewhere else. Sit, sit a bit further back. Or if you want to hear more singing, sit, sit nearer the front. And I often wonder when I come away from conversations like that, like all the stuff that happened this weekend, and that's what you came away with. The music was too loud. I didn't like the trousers you were wearing. Or you... Or your shirt was a bit creased. <gasps> like, really? And David comes from all of this stuff. Goes home to bless his household. Didn't you act like some vulgar fellow? You know what his answer is? Hey, <laughs> it's like the song, you ain't seen nothing yet. He said, hey, watch me tomorrow. I don't care how undignified I look when I praise God. That's what he, that's basically what he says to his wife. Read the text. It's absolutely fantastic. He says, I don't care how undignified I look when I'm celebrating the God who made all this. He's great and worthy to be praised. You know, there was a, there was a, there was a guy in Britain, um, and he, and he was the pastor of a church in a place called Surbiton in Surrey. Now, Surbiton in the UK is quite a quite an upmarket area. It's a, quite a posh area. Lots of uh, stockbrokers and, and wealthy people and um, 
bankers and stuff like that live in that area and they're all very nicely dressed and they're all really great and he, he went to church one day as the pastor and what he did was this he pulled his he pulled his um trousers up uh, he, he had kept them on he wasn't doing anything wrong he rolled his trouser legs up to expose his uh his his socks and stuff that, that were halfway up his calf muscles and he, he pulled both trouser legs up and then he took his suit jacket off and he turned it inside out so that the lining was showing and the pen pocket and all of that was showing the wrong way and then he ran around the church going yeah like this all the way around the church and there was stunned silence and people were shocked they thought he'd gone wild in the head or something and and then he got back to the front of the church he said listen he said i've just lost my dignity in front of everybody he said some of you need to be prepared to lose your dignity in front of the king of kings now that's quite a strong statement and I don't know how you feel about that but I want you to wrestle with it a little bit as I wrestle with it because you see David says hey tomorrow I may be even more undignified tomorrow than I was today but I'm going to praise God and I'm not going to allow anybody to stop me from praising God why? because I have the presence of God in me what a great thought what a great thought the presence of God brings freedom of expression brings freedom to praise and worship him even if it makes me feel a little bit undignified do you know what I sit in the front row at our church just because that's where I like to sit sometimes when we're singing a song and you might think this is strange sometimes when we're singing a song and, and, I, and the words of the song connect with me not the tune the tunes are just tunes right um but the words of the song will connect here with me. And, I, and I'll put my hand here, middle of my chest, over my heart. And say, oh, God, that's... And I'll raise my hand up like that. And just as I go to do it, I think, I wonder what the people behind are going to think. And I've got to come to a place where I don't care. Because God knows my heart. God, I, I want... It's not very undignified. We need to just raise my hand. I'm in. I'm in. Do you, do you understand? I'm in. And I want you to be in. In with the fact that we can praise and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords who made all this and allows his presence to live in us. What a great thought. Hey, bless you. Thanks for joining me up on the top of the mountains here, right on the edge of the Alpine. It's, it's just fantastic. And um, hey, who knows? Maybe God's speaking to us, saying to us. Maybe it's time we lost some of our dignity. And maybe it's time we learn to praise God. And bless you. And enjoy the presence of God in your household. Look around you. There's so much work to do. This world is in no condition for us to simply sit back and watch. There is a tangible, 
desperate need for Jesus. A glimpse of hope in the midst of hopelessness. Jesus experienced this. He saw it firsthand. The need broke his heart and filled him with compassion. He turned to his disciples and said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. This alone should stir our hearts. It's a calling. A calling to make a difference. To share the truth of the gospel. To be a light in the darkness. To be the church. It's time for us to look beyond ourselves. To turn our focus to the field. To answer the call and passionately share the love of Jesus. This is our mandate. This is our mission. Are you ready to do the work? I count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting The same God who's never late is working all things out You're working all things out